All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. So Garrick is back in the back taping his microphone to his face. That is something that you do not know that we do. Uh, otherwise, it springs off our face and it drives us crazy. So right before we started, he lost the tape. So he's currently, if he can't find the tape, he's going to staple it on. Either way, when he comes back, that microphone will be securely where it needs to be. Uh, today is a little bit different. Oh, can we turn off the music? Thank you. I like the score, but... <laughs> Today's going to be a little bit different because Garrick and I are going to actually team preach uh, the sermon today. So that's something we don't do very often, but it is something that we want to do on really big Sundays when there's something to announce. Nikki is one part of that, but welcome back, Garrick Hanger, everybody. I made it. You made it. It's something when we do that when we have something big to talk about, uh, and we've done it kind of historically throughout our ministry together, and today is a big day. Uh, we knew all along that one of the most important things about Coastline was going to be how we were going to decide to disciple people. It, it's, it's partly where you're going to meet, it's partly how you're going to function, it's partly your vision. All of those things are important, but ultimately, how you're going to disciple people and see them grow and mature in the Lord is one of the things that really helps each church have its own individual flavor, ministry, and it's what it really sets it apart. Now, we've done ministry uh, a lot over the past few years where we've tried different discipleship models. We've done one-on-one uh, -on -one models where one person is paired with another and there's a mentorship relationship. And once that grows, well, then they split off and then they both find a new one. We've done that and it's good. It's just very hard to scale uh, because you means you need to find so many people and there's a lot of people waiting on the sidelines before you actually are ready to pair them with someone. So we've done that. We decided we're not going to do that. Uh, we've done life groups in the past, and life groups are great, except some people are really scared about the word life, like it's life sentence. Like, if I join this group, then I'm never going to leave this group, and what if I don't like this group? And so people are hesitant to give their life to Jesus and this group, and <laughs> if you get a good group, then they want to lock the doors so no one comes in and ruins the good group. So... Life groups are good, but they come up with challenges as well. And we've done Sunday school classes uh, where you just kind of have a teaching platform, which are cool, but then who wants to go hear two sermons each Sunday? So eventually, either I'm better than the person in the Sunday school class and they come here, or they're better <laughs> than me, and then they don't come here, and that just doesn't work. So we started dreaming about what it was going to be, and in the end, we've decided on Coastline Communities, which we're going to tell you about. Yeah. Really, if you're going to understand what a coastline community group is, uh, part of it comes out of the book of Acts, where we are spending our time right now. Our vision for it is shaped out of Acts chapter 2, uh, specifically the end result of the Pentecost sermon. We've been in the Pentecost sermon for the last two weeks, but today we're going to look at the end of it. I'm going to summarize a couple verses so you remember the context. But it's the end result of hearing the gospel preached and how it changes this group of people and how they relate to one another that is the very foundation of what a coastline community is. So what I want to do is to invite you to open up your Bibles. It's important that you open up your Bibles on this Sunday, every Sunday, but this Sunday, so you can kind of track where we're going to be. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in 23 and 24. And then I'm going to read 37 and 39, and then the bulk of our message is going to be in 42 to 47. So let me begin. I'm going to pick it up in Acts 2.23. This is Peter speaking and Peter preaching, and he's going to begin by saying, this man, that is Jesus. So 
Jesus was handed over to you, that's the people who are hearing the sermon, Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and who are all who are far off and for whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread into prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. Mm-hmm. This is God's word for us today. Yeah. Amen. So... Let me bring you into a personal story, which I think is going to highlight one of the things we need to know to understand the Pentecost sermon. So I, we in our house, Melinda and I, we have a coffee table that is like upholstery on top and like wood on the bottom. Women, you know what I'm talking about, right? Great. We got this coffee table when we had children because we didn't want them to dent their faces on a wood table. Again, women, you understand what I'm saying. So We got it, and it's been great. We've had this coffee table for about 10 years, and over the course of time, this coffee table has become more chair than table. Specifically, it's where I sit when I play Fortnite. So, I was playing Fortnite the other day, and I went to sit on the table, and when I sat on the table, it cracked and broke right underneath my butt. Now, I want to acknowledge that this may indeed be my fault. That week, I'd had a lot of bad food. Specifically, that day, I'd had four pieces of Costco pizza. Two of them were combo, one of them was pepperoni, and one of them was cheese. So this may be my fault. Also, I had a bucket of KFC chicken that week, and I had a few bites of the macaroni and cheese. So again, this may be my fault. Melinda also bought some hot dogs at Costco that are wrapped in pretzels. It's like a bagel dog, but it's wrapped in pretzel. They're insane. You cook them for 60 seconds. That's all it takes. And then you have a hot dog that is wrapped in the bread that they make pretzels out of. It was so good. So this may be my fault that the table broke. This may be on me. The story might just be done. Yeah. So let's pray. Let's pray. That's the word for the Lord. Now, one of the things I told Melinda would happen, she said, oh, the same thing happened to Colin yesterday. Colin sat on the table, and it broke, but he fixed it. (laughs) And I want to believe that Colin can fix a table, but then again, he's 15. And expecting a 15-year-old to fix a table that he has broken is maybe one step above giving the drill to a chimpanzee or like a silverback gorilla, some primate, they're about on the same level. So, so I talked to Colin, I was like, you broke the table, 
And then you tried to fix it. You said, no, I didn't break it. What happened was that Chapman and Piper, they were sitting on the table with the Aaron twins, and they broke it. They're the ones who broke it. And when I told Melinda that it wasn't me, it was actually the Aaron twins who broke it, she said, it's really all of your faults because none of you should be sitting on the table to play Fortnite, which may be true. So the question is, whose fault is it really? Who's really to blame for breaking the table? Is it me? Is it Colin? Is it the twins? Now, if you can take all of this and laugh at it and now focus in this moment, that is one of the key questions in Pentecost. Who is it who's really to blame for Jesus' death? Is it the Roman guards who grabbed him, arrested him, put him on trial, and drove the nails through his hands? Is it their fault or... Is it the Jewish government who has come to believe that he is actually dangerous and a false prophet, and they're the ones who ask Rome to do it? Is it really their fault, or is it the crowd's fault who, who calls for them to crucify Jesus and ask for Barabbas instead to be released to them instead of Jesus? Is it their fault? Who truly is to blame for the death of Jesus? And Peter begins by addressing it here in verse 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So he says, who is to blame for Jesus' death? All of you are. He's looking at this vast crowd. He says, all of you are responsible for Jesus' death. Now he makes a distinction. He says that there are some who are wicked men, and they did it for wicked reasons. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly what was behind every stroke of that hammer. They are to blame. But also there are some of you who just stood passively by. There are some of you who are there who were guilty as well. But then he extends it out even past there, too, that there's some of you who also were here, and it's not just that you were passive, but you still are guilty as well, even if you kind of like Jesus. Now, it would be fair for the crowd to say, you can't blame me. I didn't do it. I didn't grab the hammer. I didn't ask him to be crucified. I wasn't even in Jerusalem when this happened. Keep in mind, this sermon happens 40 days afterwards. They could say, I wasn't even there. I was back at home. You can't possibly blame me. But Peter does. He says, even if you weren't here, even if you weren't present, even if you respected Jesus, he says, ultimately, you were responsible for Jesus going there upon the cross, even if you were not physically present. In a sense, he's saying the guilt for Jesus' death is bigger than if you necessarily wanted it. That every one of us is partly responsible for Jesus' death because Jesus is not killed by the Romans. He is not killed by the Jewish leadership. He is not killed by the crowd. He willingly chooses to go to the cross for our sins. In fact, when Peter tries to stop the crucifixion, Jesus says, don't you think I could stop this at any time? Don't you think I could call down angels to stop this if I wanted them to do? He says, no, I am choosing to go to the cross because of your sin. And in that way, because we have sinned, everybody there is guilty. And it moves both backwards and forwards. Everybody who has ever come before this moment, Adam and Eve, David, King Josiah, everybody in the Old Testament, they are guilty for Jesus' death because they have sinned. And everybody who moves forward from that moment, 
all the way to you and I and anybody who's ever started a war, whether we're considering a dictatorship or simply a third grader at elementary school, every one of us is guilty for Jesus' death. That's, that's heavy. That's what he's saying, that all of you, we're all guilty for it. Now, when the people hear this, they're overwhelmed because they know that ultimately sin requires someone to pay it back. That's how their whole world existed. That if they sinned, they went to the temple, they made a sacrifice, they put in an offering, and then their sins were removed from them. Now, if it's true that they have been responsible for the death of the Messiah, what is the sacrifice that you have to give to remove that from you? If ultimately, if it took a lamb for your sins, then if I have sacrificed the Son of God, what can I possibly give to ever be done? And the whole point of Peter's message is this. If you repent, and if you believe, then you will be forgiven right now by Jesus for killing Jesus. When they hear that, it fills them with such a sense of overwhelming joy and awe that's going to drive everything else that they're going to do. That this overwhelming sense of joy and awe is going to push everything else that comes after because they know that Jesus has done something profound for them. And it gets expressed in what we're going to call devotion. That is what we see here in the passage, verse 42. They devoted themselves. That joy became this action where they needed to commit themselves more. I was thinking about trying to put words around devotion, and I think it's this. Devotion is our expression of love enthusiasm and loyalty to God and one another for what God has done. That's what it means to be devoted. It is love, enthusiasm, and loyalty to God and one another. And it tells us specifically how they devoted themselves. It says that they devoted themselves to the teaching. If you think about it for a moment, these people were all very devout Jews. They're there on a holiday. They know their Old Testament, and yet they had still missed Jesus. They had still missed the Messiah, and more than that, they had conspired in his death. And so there's a lot that they know, but there's so much that they don't know. And so as they come to hear about Jesus, and as they come to realize that they have been forgiven by him through faith, their very next thing they want to do is to learn. They want to understand what they missed and how they missed it. In a sense, in that moment, you have 3,000 people who become Christians, and every one of them is a baby in the faith. And so the way John Stott, the theologian, says it is that in that day in Jerusalem, the church became a university to help people understand who Jesus was and what the message of the Messiah had been throughout the Old Testament and what it required of them as well. So the early church is a place where the, whole, where the Bible is cherished and where it's taught, but more than that, it's a place where the Holy Spirit is present as well. So often, churches lean very hard into being a Holy Spirit church or being a Bible church. And a lot of times Christians divide themselves like, I am more of a Bible person or a Holy Spirit person. But in the first, first century church, we see that they are both. They have had this profound experience with the Holy Spirit where they've seen the miraculous happen and they're going to constantly lean on the Holy Spirit, but they're at the same time going to devote themselves to the Word. That the Word and Spirit become dance partners in the life of the early church. Mm -hmm. And they're going to allow both to be fully present and to be celebrated. I mean, you see it in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then look at verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. Teaching and wonders, teachings and spirit and sign, that is exactly who the first century church was. 
And it's not just that they were devoted to teaching. Look at what it also says. That it was expressed in their devotion to one another. Look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So they continued to meet together in very formal religious settings. They continued to go to church, basically. They didn't check out of the temple. In fact, it says that every day they went to church together and to the formal practice of worship, that the temple was the center of their faith. It's where prayers and cleansings and offerings were, were happening. And that is where they still went to worship God in the temple. But they didn't only have formal places of worship. They also had informal places of worship. Because look at 40, verse 46. They broke bread together in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. See, this joy that they had in the Lord also bound them together. And so they didn't just want to go to church. They didn't just want to attend a common place. Their lives were mixed together in the big and small things of eating and worshiping. This is who they were. This is what it meant to go to church. It was that it meant that you were a part of a community. There is no such thing in the first century church as being a Christian who doesn't go to church. It doesn't exist. In fact, the way that the church describes, the way that the, I should say, the way that Paul describes people who don't go to church are people who've been turned over to Satan. That is what it means, that that is how sincere it is. That's how serious it is to not go to church. Their lives were focused around formal and informal places of worship. And they were devoted to bringing people into the church. They become a people who are constantly sharing and inviting people to come in. And finally, they were a people who were devoted to prayer. I mean, they believed that Jesus was still alive, that he had risen to the Father, and he was there interceding for them. That as much as they had talked to him face to face here on this earth, they could still talk to him in heaven, and he would come and take their prayers to God and would answer from heaven. So whenever good things happened, whenever they were confused or challenged or did not want to do, they always prayed. In fact, as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to look at six or seven different prayers, which are going to highlight just how much it was a center of who they were. They were devoted. And with so many things in life, devotion changes things. If you're devoted to your work, you can get a lot done. We are inspired by people who are devoted. If you're devoted to your family, you could watch your family and your children grow and develop. If you're devoted to your church, you can see Coastline become something that is more than just a service, but actually a true family. Devotion changes things. We're moved by devotion. And at the same time, indifference does very little. If you are indifferent about your work, or if you are indifferent about your family, or if you are indifferent about church, well, then it will all just kind of go nowhere. In fact, you may not have any of them for very long if you are indifferent. What God calls us to is devotion, and that devotion comes from love, from realizing what he has done for us, and that overwhelming joy that causes us to respond. In the end, if you are indifferent to church, or if you're indifferent towards each other, chances are you have lost your sense of awe about what Jesus has done and what he has saved you from. If you're indifferent, you've lost the awe of the cross. Devoted Christians see the miraculous happen amongst them because they see people's lives be changed, starting with themselves and then moving outward. In fact, I would say it even bigger, that a devoted church is the very hope of the world to invite people into a meaningful relationship with him. You know, we are not the first century church. We don't have the Pentecost sermon where we see these tongues of flame coming down, but the Spirit is present here. 
And we want to always be talking about the beauty of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And that if you are a mess and a disaster, if you screwed up your life, well, welcome to church. Where else should you be than to come to a place where you have a Messiah who has died for those very things? It's not a place for the perfect. It is a place for the broken. And our desire is that out of our awe and love and devotion that we can begin to see a place that builds this kind of community that we see in the text and watch it grow and change us and others. Amen. Baton pass. Baton pass? Through just pray and end. I mean. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so here we have this Pentecost community. And as Sean said so passionately and so clearly, they devoted themselves to Jesus and to one another. And you might be sitting here thinking about, okay, I don't know where my devotion is at. I'm maybe somewhere in the middle. I look at Acts 2 and I see some things about it that maybe I can uh, picture myself being a part of and other things that that I recognize that I'm more indifferent. And as Sean said, regardless of where you're at in your uh, rate, I, I guess you'd say, of your devotion to Jesus and to one another, I want you to hear again from my mouth, Coastline is a place where we're seeking, with God's help through the Word and the Spirit, to grow as a devoted people to take places where you and I both know that we are indifferent and grow that devotion that we might live as we see in Acts 2 in this Pentecost community. Because what makes them so transformative for their community is this devotion they have to Jesus and to one another. And so then it, it leaves us going, okay, what are we going to do at Coastline? How do we grow as a Pentecost community? And really, I think, in wrestling with that question and how we're going to grow adults at Coastline, as Sean began with, this, this idea of Coastline communities has really been kind of formed in our thought life and thinking through it, prayer, our past experience, that we really believe this is the, the best way to grow our devotion. And, and really, Coastline communities are going to be committed to three things. To help you grow in your relationship with God, to help you grow your relationship and friendship with others here in the church, and then to help us grow as a family of God on mission together. That's really what it's about. At the end of the day, we want these communities to be a place that we can live into our vision, right? To be a, a, the family of God, the beloved family of God, inviting others to experience him with us and a place that we get to live into our core values of being boldly biblical, spirit-seeking, holy worshiping, and fully family. And so in just a few minutes, what I'd like to do is, is help you understand how are we going to go after these three things, this growing our relationship with God, with each other, and on mission together. And the first one is, look, we're, we're seeking to grow our relationship with God as we want to be a community that, that is gathered around the Word of God. As you saw in Acts 2.42, the very first thing that they devoted themselves to is the apostles' teaching. We want to be a community that gathers in backyards together and opens up God's word together. We are a community gathered around, as Sean said, the word of God. That we would learn the scriptures together, that we'd get an opportunity to study the scriptures together, that we'd have an opportunity as a community to think about, now how do I take this truth and apply it to my life? We also want to create space for the Holy Spirit to be at work. This recognition that up here you're seeing two individuals or maybe one individual on a given week and maybe the worship team and it's not the plurality of gifts that God has given to the, his church. 
And we want to see those gifts being harnessed and utilized in a smaller setting, in a backyard gathering that's opening up God's word. Now, these groups, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but these groups we're envisioning are larger than a small group, but smaller than a service, with intentionality behind that. That we would have an opportunity, as I said before, for gifts to be utilized and opportunities to participate in, in maybe ways that you can't as we're a larger group here, and yet large enough that we would be able to engage in relationship and invite people in, as I'll talk about in a minute. And so that's part of how we see this growing our relationship with God, that we would gather around the Word of God, that we would study it, that we would talk about it, we would talk about how to apply it to our lives. We'd have opportunity as we break the group into smaller groups to discuss it as well as then use our spiritual gifts and probably seek an opportunity to pray for each other and to pray over things that are happening in our lives, as you saw here in the first century followers, the people of Pentecost devoted themselves to prayer. So these coastline communities are mid-sized groups that meet during the week to give you an opportunity to gather around God's word and participate in what God is doing in a smaller community here in the family of Coastline. The second value would be to grow our friendship or our relationship with one another. You'll hear me say this again and again at Coastline, that God lives in community, and he created your, you for community. God lives in community, and he's created you to live in community. Another way to phrase that, that maybe you've been with us for a few years, you've, you've heard us say this, that to grow spiritually, you need to connect relationally. That's the positive. Here's the negative that some people that are indifferent toward community need to hear. You can't grow into the person that God has designed you to be living in isolation. You just can't do it. And there's all kinds of lies in today's world of, oh, I can get everything through the internet, and oh, I can listen to all kinds of podcasts. But there's something that happens when the people of God gather together And the gifts are on display and other people get the opportunity to speak into your perspective and your life. That's how we learn. And God has set us up to learn in that way. I love if you go back to the text you see in verse 46 that, as Sean said, that they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. See, they shared the joy of life. They also shared the hardship of life. See, these backyard communities are an opportunity for us to live in community such that it's preventative in our lives. You might have disaster strike a a month from now, three months from now, a year from now. The best thing that could happen as you're going through a hard season of life is that you're not walking alone. And community, friends, is preventative for all of the hardships and struggles that we have in life. Our hope is that as you participate in a coastline community, it would be a place that you are known and that you know others. Sean and I are working hard to try to get everybody's name, but I gotta be honest, it's really hard. Because you guys, some of you are here every week, some of you aren't here every week, and as you pop in occasionally, and now that you're hiding your face under a mask, I'm like, I think I met them two weeks ago. We need to be in a 
a large enough community that we can be on mission together, but small enough that you can actually know the people around you. And that's the hope for these backyard coastline communities that you would be known. Now here's something that's different than maybe where we have done ministry in the past. If you have participated in something called a small group or something called a life group, most of those meet weekly. The the nuanced difference here of these coastline communities is that they are larger, and I'll talk about that again in a minute, but that they're going to meet every other week and not every week. And that's not us copping out, that's not us saying let's be half devoted, That's recognizing that we are a community and we need the formal engagement of what happens as we gather around the word. But there's also this reality that you and I grow when we have intimacy. And in a small group, you have this great intimacy, but you often lack mission. And we're trying to create both intimacy and mission together here at Coastline. And so we said, let's try this. Let's meet every other week so that we can open up God's word and feast on God's word together and participate together and learn together and pray together. Friends, that is everybody being invited into the banquet table. But we recognize that if you have 20 or maybe 30 in a group, you're not gonna know as much as you know if there was maybe seven of you meeting. And so on those off weeks, it's not a just go and chill. It's not just a, hey, we hope you have fun. We're gonna be intentional on those off weeks to say, you've enjoyed the banquet table. Now next Tuesday, now next Thursday, as we're not gonna meet in this backyard, we're inviting you to make connections in this community and go get around a coffee table, go get around a dinner table, because friends, there's nothing better at church than to worship God and to eat together. Am I the only one that thinks that? Can I get an amen? It is great to open up God's word, to worship together, and to enjoy and to celebrate a meal together. That's what Jesus' followers did, and what did they do as they ate meals and they opened up God's word together? They transformed the community right around them. And I believe that as we lean in together in these coastline communities and say, I will be here for the banquet table, and on the off week, I will connect with this person that I'm getting to know, or that I know well, or that I don't know yet, and we will enjoy a coffee table for those that are too busy to cook. Can I get another amen? See, there's space for you at Coastline if you cook. There's space for you at Coastline if you don't cook. Go get around a coffee table, a a dinner table, because... Life, or I should say this, discipleship happens just as the church gathered in both a formal setting and an informal setting. You know what I'm talking about. You've opened up God's word and you've had the spirit go, yep, that's something you need to work on. And you've had that moment gathered with growing friendships that know you and know your community, that encourage you in your faith, that walk with you when the wheels fall off, that celebrate with you when there's a birthday or a big moment in your family. That's just as much how we grow in God, and so we're creating space for both here at Coastline. So come join us at the banquet table, at a coffee table, and at a dinner table. And finally this, we wanna grow as a family on mission together. See, one of the big differences of maybe a small group ministry that we could have easily launched into because we've done it, we've known it, and good fruit comes out of it. 
But this is us saying, let's get the good fruit if we can and go shoot for something more. Because something that I've learned as I was heavily involved in life groups was it was really hard to get your life group to be on mission together. Because really the premise was, okay, there's the eight of us, and Sean said it so well, and we've got this intimacy, and we're really sharing heart to heart, and it is amazing, and then you're afraid to bring anybody into it because they're going to not ruin it because they're not a good person, but now everybody's got to back up and bring that person into that relational intimacy. And so part of these coastline communities, what's different is there's not going to be a closed door. There's not going to be a us 12 and no more. It's a, hey, we are a community gathered around God's word and his spirit. And if you are willing to participate, you are welcome. And we're big enough that you can sit on the back and kind of listen and kind of grow your way into it. Or if you're familiar to these things, you can step in in front from the very beginning. But we really believe that in today's shifting climate of our culture, that is moving rapidly away from a biblical understanding of the world. If we're going to be on mission together, here's what it's going to take. Obviously, it's the work of God. And how do we partner with him? Sean and I both believe the best way that we are going to grow Coastline and bring new people into the faith and celebrate baptisms is through friendship and through attractive community that we would build friendships with the people that we know and love in our families and in our homes and people we work with and in our neighborhoods and in our schools. And out of genuine friendship, we would be able to invite them to say, hey, I'm part of a community that knows how to have joy. I'm a part of a community that knows how to celebrate. I'm part of a community that my pastor told me, go get coffee or go get food, and that's part of discipleship. I would love for you to be part of that. That's how we believe that Coastline is being called to make a difference in the South Bay. That we would step in and our best mode for those who are yet to believe, to know and experience the goodness of God, is that they would experience through an invitation of relationship and then to be able to experience a community that's living something joyful as we see in the early church. So these Coastline communities, they're larger on purpose to give an opportunity to be more missional together, and yet giving an opportunity on those off weeks to continue to build intimacy. One other difference that you need to know is in the past we've been very sermon-based, which again has its benefits. But I think as we launch into this new season, we're just going to be scripturally based. We're just going to be based on the text, and we're being intentional about that because we want to be the community gathered around the Word of God, but also as we think about being invitational, inviting others in into these coastline communities. It's really hard to be like, come to this group, and then everybody's sitting in a circle and saying, well, did you, okay, does anybody remember what Sean said last week? And they're like, hey, who's Sean? And like, why are we talking about him? He's not even here, right? And so this idea of being more missional together is let's open up the word of God together and let's feast and let's study on the text. And it might dovetail with where we're at in the sermon. Actually, in the fall, we'll just be looking at some passages in Acts. But it'll be open enough to where new people can come in and participate and they won't have to necessarily be here with us on a Sunday to do so. So let me give you just some practical, wrap up with some practical details. Uh, Leadership for these things. Right now, we've identified kind of three important roles that are played in the leadership of a coastline community. There is a study leader, there is a shepherd, and there is a host. 
And so it's a community of three or a few more gathered together in leadership to put a coastline community on. We're going to meet in trimesters. So think three-month intervals. September, October, November would be the first one. January, February, March, the second one. And then April, May, and June, the third one. Meeting six times in each one of those um, three-month intervals. Most of these will be on Tuesday or Thursday night, although there'll be a college one on Wednesday. The length will be 6.30 to about 8.15. And we're being intentional about these dovetailing with, with some ministries here. So we'll try to have some groups that meet on Tuesday if you have students that do student ministry on Tuesday. You might have children of fifth grade and under. The Coastline crew is going to be on Thursday. So if you have little ones, what you're going to be able to do is to partake in a coastline community by dropping your kid off at 6.15 here at St. Andrews, driving to your coastline community, finishing up there around 8 or 8.15, and then making sure you're back by 8.30 to pick up your children. So that way you're getting an opportunity as an adult to grow in the faith, and your kids are getting the same. And so we're trying to take this coastline community ministry and build it with our students and with our children. As you've heard before, we're going to kick off in two weeks, uh, September 21st and September 23rd. That one is going to be mostly just enjoying a meal together and getting to know people. You're going to hear more next week about the leadership that we have identified just to get us started. We'll have an opportunity to have them up front, and you'll hear a little bit about who they are and what they're passionate about. And then you'll be receiving an email from us this week regarding these coastline communities and how you can sign up to participate. Basically, we just need you for the first couple weeks to go ahead and register so that we know, A, how much food is needed, but then B, we can also figure out, okay, how is our community kind of uh, fleshing out across these different coastline communities that we're offering? So I think that's it as far as kind of the details that I needed you to be aware of. Let's do this to end our message. I want to invite you, a worship team, you can come on up. I want to invite you, just for a moment, to think about where are you at in your devotion to Jesus and to the people here at Coastline? Where is that devotion? Do you feel more indifferent? Or are you here and you're ready to go? And just take some time and think through that and then think about, okay, how are you going to participate? How are you going to join us in these coastline communities? How is God calling you in? Because may I remind you, when he says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is not just kind of what magically happens when two people decide to hang out together. The language there is that you would step in and participate and give who you are for the sake of of growing something that is beneficial to the whole community. What will be your level of participation? Will you make sure that you come join us, not only on Sunday, but join us for these coastline communities? Let me pray for us, and then we'll engage in worship. Father, we just take this moment now. Father, we thank you for the Pentecost community and what they've taught us. Father, to be devoted to you and to one another. Father, we recognize that you're the one that grows our devotion. 
And Father, that we're offering Coastline Communities to help each one of us grow our devotion to you and to each other. And so, Father, we're asking in this moment, would your Holy Spirit search our minds and our hearts? What are our reasons in the past for not participating? What are we scared of, of the idea of stepping in deeper? What commitments do we need to shed in order to make being devoted to you and a coastline community a priority? Father, if we're here and we're all in and we're ready to do this thing, Father, would you harness our excitement and our joy? Would you help us encourage those around us to come and jump in? Or Father, maybe who do you have in our minds and who do you want to put on our hearts for us to call this week and encourage to come and join with me as I jump into this? So Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for your commitment to us. Thank you that you're always at work on us. Would you grow our devotion to you that we might be a church collectively, like the early church that says we are devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And in that, Father, would you add to our numbers daily the number of people who can profess faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen.